the most important thing is uh, life begins when you leave the military. It doesn't end when you leave the military. It begins. Uh, and there's awesome. so much opportunity out there. You just have to open your eyes to it. That's it. It's not, it's not as scary as it seems. The last time you look in the mirror at the gate as you drive out, there's uh, there's a about a million pounds of pressure lifted off your chest that you never thought was there. That's Spencer Imch, an AH-64D Longbow Apache Tech Helicopter Pilot and Warrant Officer in the U.S. Army. With two and a half years total in the combat theaters of Iraq and Afghanistan over the course of his 12-year career. He's now living as an expat and entrepreneur in Bucharest, Romania. Coming up next on Veteran on the Move. Welcome to Veteran on the Move. If you're a veteran in transition, an entrepreneur wannabe, or someone still stuck in that J-O-B trying to escape, this podcast is dedicated to your success. And now, your host, Joe Crane. Have you tried Navy Federal's car buying experience? I highly recommend it. You won't have a better car buying experience. Check them out at NavyFederal.org slash carbine. All right, today we're talking with Army veteran Spencer Imch. He is uh, living the expat and entrepreneur life in Romania, uh, was an Apache pilot in the Army, got some great things to talk about. So, Spencer, uh, like we always do, take us back, tell us what you did in the Army. Actually, I didn't join uh, the Army as a street to seater, as a straight into aviation. I joined as, a, as the guy that the admin clerks make fun of. Uh, I was in the army band for four years. I actually played <laughs> drums for the 101st Airborne Division and did uh, a tour in Afghanistan for a year in 2010, uh, playing Skinnerd and ACDC around 60 different fobs and cops in uh, <laughs> all really? over the country. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's awesome. I have to say, I think out of like, you know, 450 some interviews, I, I think oh, that's a first. I was yeah. in the band. <laughs> yeah, the band and then uh, a kid uh, a kid I was teaching drum lessons to his dad was super cool in early 40s and he was a, a 160th Blackhawk uh, maintenance test pilot yeah and my dad was a, a Navy pilot and uh, flew for FedEx for about 30 years my little brother was an Air Force pilot he saw pictures on the wall when I was giving this kid drum lessons it's like dude you're a pilot like I was like no he's like do you want to be I was like yeah he's like all right you're putting in a packet like what's... <laughs> and so that's kind of like how my uh, my transition happened the army's like too. oh yeah you're you're not uh you're smart enough so so go uh go through training and and then I flew for uh, for 8 years as a as a 64 delta longbow pilot yeah no kidding wow mm-hmm. so you spent, uh, we talked a little bit about uh, some of your time in Afghanistan and Iraq. You spent two and a half years in you know, the, the combat zone. Yeah. Out of the, out yeah, of that. yeah. Uh, I, let's see. My first uh, deployment as a, as a attack pilot was in uh, 2016. Uh, it was supposed to be just a nine months uh, stint in Kuwait. And then that uh, very quickly changed. Uh, it was when ISIS was uh, big in the country. And uh, we got moved from Kuwait up to uh, cover down on our Bravo company, which got moved from Taji up to Erbil. And then we went to Taji, uh, sat QRF for a number of months. And then uh, my my friend David in Bravo company, he was, uh, we had the same, about the same time in, the same qualifications and everything. He uh, he stepped in a pothole on a run and he got uh, sent sent to Germany for surgery on a broken foot. And I moved up to Biko. And right after I moved up to Biko, we started, uh, started to take back Missoula from ISIS for, for the last uh, five months of deployment, basically. And, 
yeah, the, the A-10s were broke one night. We weren't shooting uh, up until that point. The A-10s were, were broken one night. And uh, they're like, okay, we need a, a close uh, attack asset. So uh, they called uh, two Apaches up. And from that night on, they were two Apaches over Missoula 24-7 in the stack. <laughs> so it was, uh, it was definitely different than uh, what I'd heard from a lot of the veterans about like, okay, you got to be very careful. They're pulling your gun tape. They're looking to send anybody to Leavenworth for killing civilians. And uh, no, Iraq against ISIS in 2016 was basically uh, the Wild West again. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were cutting our own gun tape. I mean, you know, it's like. It was it was a it was a definitely a, a different experience than what I'd yeah. led to believe up until that point by the guys yeah. who were long Afghanistan combat pilot vets. Huh. Yeah, I, similar experience. Like uh, we never, anybody really ever questioned anything that we had done. And of course, yeah, uh, my my main experience was two thousand four, same country, uh, okay, out in Fallujah. Yeah. Hard to believe. Oh, in Fallujah, man. Twelve yeah. years apart in the same country, same war. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, crazy. Okay. And then what's, what's even more nuts. So I actually wrote a book about that deployment. It just came out. Um, just because I'd gone through a lot of different things and, uh, and becoming a gun pilot for the first time. Mm-hmm. It's a new experience. I mean, before that you're a pilot that flies a gunship and then you go to combat for the first time you become a gun pilot. Um, really interesting deployment. Again, all the different experiences, the PCS deployment, then sitting QRF forever, never getting used, being frustrated that you could do something, but they're not using you. And then straight to uh, working with uh, SF and SEALs embedded with Peshmerga and stuff like that. So it's, it was a cool book, uh, a cool experience. I wrote a book. I just wrote it for myself. Um, mm-hmm. And then I, I was fortunately connected with the uh, publishing company, Tactical 16 out of uh, Colorado area. Yeah. Um, and they're like, I, I wrote, I wrote down all the experiences in case I ever had grandkids, you know, to just, you know, so if I'm old and I forget what really happened or whatever, it's there. And I could, I could tell my, my kids and my grandkids, you know, if they ever asked and then, uh, yeah, it turned into a memoir and a book that just got released a little while ago. Um, but yeah, awesome experience dealing with tactical 16. I highly recommend those guys. If you yeah. have a, if you have a war story and you want to tell it, talk to those guys. Cause it's kind of like an alternative to self-publishing, you know, like if you wrote something and released it yourself on Amazon, they kind of uh-huh. give you some more resources like editors and things like that, which is pretty cool. So but, name your books, time of flight in, in the publisher, publisher you went through is tactical 16, which is a veteran, veteran owned uh, yeah. publishing they company. Do all, uh, yeah. This is what the cover looks like for those watching on video. Ah, oh, you got it. All right. That's good. Yeah. I'm glad you got it. I don't know. Did you mean like, I got this in the mail a, f- a few days ago. Mine almost looks like mine looked like it took a round through the cover, right? Is that just a, <laughs> is that just a coincidence <laughs> or is that kind of a cool stuff. feature you <laughs> added there? Actually, uh, actually, no, I think, uh, I, I think my mom's the one who mailed you that one and, uh, she took him home from Colorado on an airplane. So maybe that's what happened. Yeah, it's prob- probably the mail, probably the mail service. Yeah. yeah. Still functional um, though. Uh, back to military history, uh, fast forward, got back, went to Carson, uh, before I got out, I did a, uh, nine months in Afghanistan in Kabul in, uh, General Miller Seajock. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, uh, aviation, a rotary wing aviation uh, officer in charge for all of Afghanistan. And that sounds really important. Um, I spent the entire time hanging out, answering questions from generals who were infantry, such as how much can an Apache sling load? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like, you're infantry in Fallujah. Like, and, you know, like you're asking how much an Apache can sling load. Really? <laughs> yeah. Apache doesn't have a hook. Does it? No, 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 no. <laughs> 
Um, I think my answer to that question is like slinglet. You mean how many rounds can it sling down range? Is that yeah, what you're right. asking? <laughs> um, interestingly enough about that deployment, um, the what's amazing is being here in, in uh, Eastern Europe and seeing on the news that we pulled out of Bagram Air Base, Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we did that before the embassy. And we actually helped rewrite the embassy's evacuation plan. And uh, my my um, my colleague and I, my CW5 colleague and I, the embassy requested our help as the aviation assets at the on the general staff. And uh, all the evacuation plans that we wrote were predicated on the fact that we would never, ever, ever leave the embassy before leaving or after leaving Bagram Air Base. The embassy yeah. would always be first and we would always have military assets to airlift people from the embassy to Bagram. And then Bagram would be the last thing we left. And sure enough, as soon as I saw it on the news, I was like, wait, wow, they didn't follow the plan. <laughs> wait, there was a plan? Oh, we didn't know yeah, about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that was a great plan too. Yeah, I never quite yeah. understood what, how the call came, who made that call about, oh yeah, we'll close down Bagram oh, first uh, and then figure out yeah. the rest later. It just, yeah. I don't know. I don't even know if that was a political move or just a, a blunder on someone's part. I'm not really sure, but yeah. anyways, it doesn't yeah. matter at this point. You know, we, we, we get out and we get out and we look at these things and we're like, wow, <laughs> like, what, what happened? <laughs> you know? Like, yeah, no, and everything else, it's not in a position anymore to have any real insight into it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Right. So, so talk about, talk about your transition out. Was it, uh, was it expected or known or was this have something happen kind yeah, of quick? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, with my dad as an airline pilot flying for FedEx for 30 years. I mean, I saw, dude, I saw airline pilot money. You know, I mean, you know, helicopter pilots don't make nearly as much as, as, as 15, 20 year airline pilots for Delta, FedEx, CPS, any mm-hmm. of those companies. And, um, we have a pilot shortage, a huge pilot shortage that was coming to a, to a point. And so the airlines were offering for the very first time in history, uh, they're offering to pay for rotor wing to fixed wing transitions for us rotor guys, you know? Mm-hmm. And I mean, the, the, the joke is we, we call ourselves, but they call us two rotor scum, you know? I mean, like, it, it, yeah. it, it was almost so bad that it's like, you imagine the scene from independence day, the movie independence day where the drunk, uh, the drunk, uh, you know, what crop dusting yeah. pilot, you know, they're like Doesn't anyone any. with flight experience. And the guy's like, I can I'm fly, pilot. I'm pilot. <laughs> yeah. Like the airlines were hiring that guy, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, so, uh, so I had a, uh, I worked on fixed wing transition and everything. And I had a conditional job offer. Uh, I knew I was going to go to the airlines. That was my whole plan, everything. Um, and then uh, COVID hit. So mm-hmm. I got out, I had a conditional job offer, COVID hit. And they said, Hey, we're not flying we're not, we're, we're, we're stopping our graduating or we're stopping our, uh, our classes for, for training. And, um, mm-hmm. so I went from having a plan to having no plan <laughs> and having, and having absolutely nothing. And, uh, the good news is they didn't say, Oh, by the way, you owe us for pilot training. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, because they paid a lot of money towards that. Um, but yeah, so I, I wasn't really sure what to, uh, what to do. So, I think I still made the right call getting out of the military because I was only in 12 years. Yeah. Um, but you know, you have good leadership, you have bad leadership, you go through periods of time where it's great. And then you change one, one commander and it becomes the most toxic environment you've ever been in. And that was kind of my situation. Uh, and I knew I wanted to get out and I really, I was just like, I can't do this for eight more years. I joined late. I didn't join until I was like 24 or so. And, um, 
and I, I saw I saw something that I was sure was going to be great, and the fact that it that it fell through and turned it up being the the absolute best thing that ever could have happened to me in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, yeah. that 12 year mark, that's kind of the decision point there. I mean, it's almost most people yeah. are like, well, if you're at 12, you might as well finish yeah. it off. But yeah. uh, so, yeah. yeah. You leave with yeah. a handshake? I did, I did eight fall? active and then was went out and went into the reserves and then came back and did 12 active after being out. Back. Oh, my God, man. Yeah. Wow. When were it first you, started, I'm like, yeah, that's not going to happen. Oh, great. I was, uh, yeah, I retired as 05. So, um, oh, right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah we could, so right. it's like. Yeah, I never yeah. thought that would never thought that would happen. Uh, but, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you know, that was 2001 when I came back on active duty. So um, yeah. it was just the beginning wow. of it. Who knew? Who, who, who knew it was going to go? We had on no that. idea what was going to happen who then. Who knew? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, right. so ultimately, what did you after all all the COVID and the end of the airline idea? What was the well, rest so of the transition like? I met my wife. Uh, it was crazy. I, I met my wife in Afghanistan on that last deployment. Uh, we spent 13 hours a day next to each other, hanging out, you know, and, and I started learning a little Romanian and we were just, we, we just kind of fell into it. And then, um, she's Romanian. We, Why was she in Afghanistan? So she worked for NATO. She, oh, really? so she actually, she works directly for NATO. She's in the Romanian army, but she works for NATO. She actually has a PhD in war games, uh, military science war game. So she, she is a certifying official that certifies NATO divisions in their chain of command, um, decision-making processes and, and everything before they, wow. they go and take command of like, you know, any, any important area of the world basically. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, so we, we hung out a lot. And then, uh, after, after deployment, uh, we were like, okay, well, you know, deployment, whatever we got to know each other. And I came to Romania a couple of times to visit, uh, she came to the U S and, and we just kind of like, Oh, we'll see how it goes and everything. And then, um, with COVID and me getting out of the army, we spent a lot more time together cause I was free to kind of travel. Um, COVID made it difficult. Um, but it was still possible. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, yeah, we decided to get married and we got married in, in the U S and then, uh, she said, Hey, I have some friends in the Romanian air force that, they fly for a low cost European carrier, blue air. Hmm. Um, okay, cool. Awesome. She's like, maybe I can get you a job. So I got an interview. I did the interview and they're like, yeah, we want to hire you. Got everything together and, uh, moved overseas. And they're like, oh yeah, COVID we're not hiring right now. <laughs> COVID so, once again, huh? Yeah. Here I found myself in a place where it's like, okay, I'm now I'm in a new country. Thankfully everything is, uh, you know, five times cheaper than the U S. So <laughs> my, uh, military, uh, you know, disability for a few things, uh, you know, wouldn't give me anything in the U S is basically the equivalent of having, you know, four or $5,000 a month here. Mm-hmm. And everyone here has families who have farms and everything. So it's, you know, you have fresh grown vegetables and, and whatever. Becrest is a pretty modern city. It's kind of like New York city in a way, Yeah, very busy, kind of big and everything. But, um, yeah, what's crazy is uh, she showed me the whole country, and then I uh, I ended up meeting some guys who were uh, I grew up doing extreme sports and things like that. So uh, met some guy who was you know we're hanging out. I heard the word you know they'll speak Romanian, Romanian, Romanian English word or phrase Romanian. He said Heliski. I was like Heliski. He's like, and I tapped him. I was like Ingleza, and he's like, yes, of course. I'm like, okay, great. So we had a conversation <laughs> about Heliski, and I was interested as a client. Yeah. 
And then, uh, and then they're like, okay, yeah, uh, what do you do? And we need pilots. Hey, that's crazy. You're a pilot. So I spent all last winter working with a heliski company. Um, and then, uh, it's kind of on the other side of the country. My wife was pregnant with our first child and everything. I wanted to be here, uh, at home more. And so they were super cool and connected me with another guy. And it ended up being one of the owners of the company I was supposed to get a pilot job for. He needed his own corporate pilot. So corporate jet and helicopter pilot. And so I ended up getting that job, no kidding. Wow. <laughs> which is, which is crazy. And then I became kind of an entrepreneur because, um, in order to get paid, they pay business to business. They don't want to take you as an employee because the Romanian government will take 40% in taxes. So, mm. but if you have your own company, the equivalent of our LLC, uh, you can take dividends out of your company once a quarter and you pay 3% in taxes. And, uh, yeah. it's super, super awesome for business here because if you're not an employee, you're a business administrator. So I'm a business administrator for my only company that has zero employees. If I want to take dividends out once a quarter, 3% dividends. And then, um, uh, because I'm not an employee of anything, I file my tax return and, and everything, but my business is a Romanian business. It's not a U.S. business. Yeah. And I only pay taxes to the U.S., once I hit the $110,000 uh, $110, income per year mark as okay. an expat. So, wow. but wow. I'm not making any money. My business is making money. I don't really take dividends out because the only thing a business is not allowed to spend money on here in Romania is uh, uh, cigarettes and condoms. So <laughs> anything is a business expense, as long as you have uh, the receipt and you keep it in your book and have it on hand. So, so you, don't, I, you don't even really need any money for your I, I don't even yeah. take dividends out. There's no reason to take wow. dividends out unless it's making too much money and the Romanian government would tax it. So okay. I initially did that as a, as a way to get paid as a pilot, as a contracted pilot to this company. Yeah. Uh, but then I was like, well, I have, I have a business, so I should do something with it. So about six months ago, I started uh, working in the extreme sports industry, which here is like going back to 1991. There's no facilities. There's no, anything. It's kind of like before the X games was ever even invented yeah. and, and being in a country like Romania or any of these Eastern European countries or anywhere that you grew up with something that someone else doesn't have things that you take for granted every day, just because you grew up with them. That's not necessarily common sense in these new places with the internet, all these places catch up very quickly to the modern world, but it's yeah. kind of like, uh, it's sort of like, you remember cliff notes, when you're a kid going through school, if you didn't want to read the full book for a book report, it's the only way I get through school. Read the con yeah. You read the condensed version of the book. And then, book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You get the answers, right? Well, it's, it's kind of like where we grew up. We read the whole book and everyone here read the cliff notes and every little detail that's missed in the cliff notes, that's an opportunity for a business to make money. So uh, uh, there are very few Americans here. There's a lot of Brits, a lot of Austrians and every single expat I know here is involved in at least, five or six different businesses. Wow. And, uh, and it's, it's very, it's, I never imagined myself to be a, a businessman or entrepreneur and cool. I've had more opportunity here in a year and a half than I've had in 20 years in the United States okay. as an American. Wow. All right. Well, hold that thought. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. If you listen to the stories on this podcast, you know, there are plenty of challenges to starting a new career after leaving the military, but so many veterans have found success in the tech industry. That's why I recommend Sabio, a coding bootcamp and developer community that's helped veterans become successful software engineers since 2013. Some students pivoted to tech from careers in other fields, 
Others never had a job outside the military. Sabio teaches you the skills you need to start a real high-paying tech job in just 17 weeks, online and from the comfort of your own home. The program is intensive, but veterans are well-equipped to handle the demands. Plus, helping you find a job is part of the program. Their alumni are working at some of the most innovative companies all over the world, like Google, Amazon, Microsoft, Activision. And at Sabio, you can enroll with your VA benefits. They also offer a variety of scholarships to help with tuition. It's time to invest in yourself and your career with Sabio. Visit sabio.la slash on the move to learn how you can use your VA benefits to enroll at Sabio. Sabio.la slash on the move. Don't wait. Go to sabio.la slash on the move today to learn more. When you become a member of Navy Federal Credit Union, life gets better. We've bought a lot of cars over the years, and I can tell you, Navy Federal's car buying experience is the best experience I've had. They've created a fully loaded car buying experience. You can finance, buy, protect, and enjoy your auto purchase all from one convenient place. They have pre-approval. It's good for 90 days, so you know what you can afford while you shop. They offer great auto loan rates. You can shop for new and used cars with Navy Federal's car buying service powered by TrueCar. You can also get exclusive member savings with Carfax, SiriusXM, and more. They're always available with 24-7 member service representatives to answer any questions. Learn more at NavyFederal.org slash carbine. Credit and collateral subject to approval. Navy Federal Credit Union is federally insured by NCUA. All right, back talking with Army veteran Spencer Imch. Uh, living the expat life and entrepreneur life in Romania. Pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, married to a Romanian. So anyways, yeah, yeah. I was like, I was, earlier you said I met my wife in Afghanistan. I'm like, okay, nobody, nobody meets anybody in Afghanistan or Iraq. Like that's one thing of the, about those right. two words. Like nobody, nobody meets their wife in, in Romania. I guess it depends, in, I guess it depends on what job you're doing. I mean, I you imagine 20, 20 years in, you know, the same crap has been going on over and over and over yeah. again in the, in the giant room with lots of people. <laughs> I mean, I suppose if like, if you meet somebody else, that's also in the military. That may be one thing, but like, especially right, somebody right, from sure. a different country, yeah. never hadn't heard of that before, but uh, hadn't yeah. interviewed anybody that had been in the band before either. So yeah, story. right. right. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, yeah. um, so we're talking in the break about, you know, we got about 10 minutes left. Um, what veterans can do to help themselves when it comes time to train, you know, lessons, uh, Lessons sure. learned in transition and how that relates to going into entrepreneurship and why veterans make great entrepreneurs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so first and foremost, like SFL tap, you know, the, whatever they change the name of these programs periodically. So someone can get a new bullet point on their SF, OER. Uh, SFL. What's that called now? I know um, tap and tamp. tap. The so SFL it, was, it, was I haven't heard of. it was SFL tap when I got out and I don't remember the acronym. Yeah, for that's SFL. a new one. I haven't heard that one. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it changes over time, okay. but, but they said something that really stuck with me, which was really interesting. Um, first and foremost, like there's a reason why there's a command sergeant major over there. And it's basically to give you cover. If your command team's trying to keep you at work, you know, as you, as you're transitioning out, like, they, they said, basically, if if your unit thinks you're great, you're not doing yourself any favors because you're focusing too much time at work and you're not figuring out your plan for getting out. Mm. Um, whereas if your unit thinks you're a total, you know, 
pile of crap, then you're probably doing the right thing and working on your working on yourself and figuring out what your plan is, going to appointments you need to go to, uh, signing up for internships through those programs and everything. And and I would say that that's right on the money. I've had a lot of friends over the last couple of years retire or be medically discharged or or just uh, ETS and um, and all of them have you know they're all they all wonder the same things and I, I don't think I was really cognizant of my own. Um, thoughts on this when I was getting out because I had a plan. I knew what I was going to do. The mm-hmm. airlines were hiring like crazy and that's what I was going to do. So that's why I was really surprised when it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of my friends now that are going out into the civilian world, they're not sure like what their skill set is. They're not sure what, if they're capable of making it outside the military, you know, they're, they're really weighing the decision. Okay. I'm at 10 years. Do I stay in for another 10 I don't feel like my family can put up with it or that, or, mm-hmm. or I could put up with it medically or physically, or do I get out and do I venture in this civilian workforce and, and, and what do I do? You know, and that's a really, it's a huge fork in the road for everyone, you know? Um, and I would say that it, I'm sure it depends on the duty station, but, but taking the lessons seriously that they teach at those, those programs and, and finding an internship program and you have the ability to create your own, um, unfortunately, sometimes those command teams can get in the way and kind of prevent that from happening as it happened to one of my friends. Um, it shouldn't be allowed to happen, but it does. Um, but, mm-hmm. but really coming up with a plan, like the, the skills that you learn in the military, like the, especially if you're an NCO or, or any kind of officer, I mean, the leadership skills, the, uh, the ability to be flexible, constantly flexible, because you know, whatever job you're supposed to be doing on the description on paper you're going to do that one percent of the time and 99 percent of the time you're going to wear a different hat for something else um like that kind of flexibility and being able to have discipline at those jobs and figuring them out and still seeing them through like that's that's absolutely unbelievable to have in, in the civilian work world you don't have a lot of people like that um, so it's especially the, the leadership skills you learn. Um, companies look for for those kind of skills big time. So if you want to go into a company, that's great. Use the internship programs. Uh, find something you're interested in. You have a skill set in, uh, and stick to what you know. I mean, usually we all find find something that like, oh, well, I don't know. I'm into this, but I don't know how I would make a business of it, or I don't know how I would be employed, or whatever. Um, yeah, you can find a company that already exists and 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 get hired as an intern or something, or just depending on what's available. But if if not, then you can create your own thing. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's until you actually start doing it, none of us have any idea what the hell we're doing. And yeah. when we start becoming entrepreneurs, it's kind of like, oh well, I have this piece of paper that says I have a, a company, so I should do something with it. What what, what does that mean? Uh, well, I need a a bank account, so you start with something simple. You get a business bank account, you file the paperwork and you have it. And, and whether you want to have a store or whether you want to provide a service or something, it's a, it it helps to have a a financial education, which no one will teach you. You have to get it yourself. Start by reading rich dad, poor dad, uh, whatever, you know, like I I did the thing where every book that's mentioned in rich dad, poor dad, I would add that to my reading list. And then that would be the Mm -hmm. next book. And then after, you know, 20 or 30 books, you kind of have some idea of how, how the business world works and things like that. But, um, it doesn't mean we have any experience and and the best thing you can do is find yourself a mentor, find someone who owns a shop, find someone who owns some kind of business you're interested in. Mm -hmm. And, And you'd be really surprised how many people don't, um, 
ask people to be mentors. And so you'll get this look, this, this crazy quizzical look. That's like when you say, Hey, I'm really interested in having my own business. You're very successful at this. Would you mind being my mentor? They look at you like, wait, you, you care what I think. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and it's amazing. For that reason, that, that, usually if you yeah. ask, yeah, you're always going to get a yes. Cause you, you've yeah, made absolutely. the person feel important. You value what a lot of people don't feel like they have the, a kind of knowledge to share with somebody, the idea yeah, that somebody's exactly. actually interested in what they do. Yeah. And I, just by doing that with a couple expats, I know, I mean, um, I've probably saved two years, two to three years in my endeavors that would have been tried on my own, fail, learn a lesson, try it on my own, fail, learn a lesson, you know, I've gone going down some alleys that would be fruitless, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and having a, a couple good people, uh, backing you up, showing you the, uh, the ways you could do it. It's like, it's, it's amazing how, uh, how much that can help and how much willing, how much people are willing to help, you know, which Absolutely. is, which is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes people might say only, only say no because they're too busy or right. they, they feel right. they don't really have anything to share. Um, right. And some other people too, uh, you'd be like, Oh, that's cool. Do you want to go into business? With you? They're like, no, I'll be your mentor. I'm not going into business with you. <laughs> and it, it's not something to take offense to. It's just, you know, maybe they're too busy or they're already involved in, like you said, in too many different endeavors of their own or whatever, Yeah, you know? So, you know, my own personal curiosity about Romania specifically, like, like what kind of entrepreneurial opportunities you, you kind of touched on a little bit about oh, all man. those gaps in the things that uh, are missing is where the opportunities love, they are. They love Christmas. They absolutely love Christmas. Really? Right. As much as Americans do. Christmas trees everywhere. Is, it, the is there a heavy Christian influence in, uh, in the culture? It's orthodox, it's, it's orthodox but I mean, but yeah. everything around the world now, it's, it's uh, anything that happens in U.S. people think that it's the promised land. This is the way it should be. Blah, blah, blah. Everyone wears New York Yankees hats here. And you ask him, you're like, why, why are you wearing that hat? What does it mean? Oh, it's the official symbol of New York. It's like, no, it's a baseball team. New York's got to come. <laughs> you know? hey, it's funny, um, yeah. but, but for instance, for Christmas, what they do to hang their ornaments on the Christmas tree is they literally tie, tie ornaments like with, you know, cord on the Christmas tree, or they'll use silver paper clips. If somebody would just figure out who the distributor distributor is of those green blend in hooks for Christmas ornaments, like that you find at Walmart everywhere, yeah. like every single store, you you could you could make a killing here. Really, you know? Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, it's just that's stupid just one example. Like that. Just little things like that. You never had any idea that that could be a business opportunity. Like, do they have Amazon in Romania? Like Amazon? Delivery? No, so they had uh, Amazon Deutschland uh, yeah. and. Uh, sometimes they would deliver to Romania, sometimes not. So huh. they have an, an equivalent, uh, EMAG, E-M-A-G, uh, which is basically E for internet and ma- uh, magazine is a store. So oh. MAG is short for magazine, e-store online. It's, it's similar, but some different products and stuff like that. You can't find nearly as much as Amazon. Okay. Um, huh. uh, but I mean, things we take for granted, right? You want to paint your house. Right. You want to paint the walls of your house. So you go to right. Home Depot or Lowe's and you can take all those little paint squares, the little paint chips home and, and hold them up to your stuff and mm-hmm. see, OK, this color matches. This is the one. This is the gray we want here. They don't have that. So you go to the store. It's literally they have a store called Dedemon, which it looks like Home Depot. The colors are still orange and everything. And it looks like a Romanian went to the U.S., saw Home Depot and said, that's a good idea and made a business. And uh but you go to the paint section and they have the books you can look at with all the different paint colors, but you can't take anything home. 
Huh. So you're literally just guessing like if the paint's going to look good or, or, or not. Yeah. And uh, yeah, luckily I live in the, the biggest city here and uh, there was a, it's not Sherman Williams. Uh, it's some, some American uh, paint store. They uh-huh. had a, a boutique one here and, and it's the only one in all of Romania and they had paint squares. And so I went and I took all the grays. I brought them home to my wife and I showed her exactly why I was talking about paint squares. She's like, Oh wow, that's actually really, really helpful. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. That's interesting. Wow. So, um, let's back to your book, uh, time of flight. Um, if somebody's interested in, uh, reading, reading about your sure. you know, time as an Apache pilot in the army. Um, uh, yeah, it is on Amazon. Amazon's, uh, Amazon's great. It's uh, coming out as an ebook, uh, soon also. Uh, however, Amazon takes something like 40% of the profits. So I encourage anyone who's interested in it, go to tactical 16.com uh, tactical 16 publishing, look them up on Google and you can look at, at author pages. Uh, they've got a bunch of good books, uh, all kinds of different people from Ford air controllers to, uh, even children's books that veterans have written. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can just search my name and, uh, or, or search time of flight and you'll see it and you can buy it directly from them. And then, uh, that helps us out. It helps a veteran owned com- company, you know, instead of, uh, you know, Jeff Bezos or whoever. So yeah. All right. cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, Hey, it. all right, Spencer. Um, and we were, we're out of time. Uh, do you yeah, want to give right. you the last word? If you're talking to somebody that's still in the military on their way out, um, in the middle of the transition, looking to get in entrepreneurship or, or do something different as opposed to getting into the cube farm in corporate America, Sure. What kind of advice Just, would you if, have for if, if you're if you're if you're if you're done with that portion of your life and you're ready to move on, don't forget it. You know, don't forget about it. If you have a story, write it down. That's great. It's uh, writing's really therapeutic, uh, and plus you can have an extra stream of income on the side if you want. But the most important thing is uh, life begins when you leave the military. It doesn't end when you leave the military. It begins. Uh, and there's awesome. so much opportunity out there. You just have to open your eyes to it. That's it. It's not, it's not as scary as it seems. The last time you look in the mirror at the gate, as you drive out, there's uh there's a, about a million pounds of pressure lifted off your chest that you never thought was there. Whether you had a good time in service or bad time in service, it's just uh it's a transition through life. That's a good one that should Absolutely. be embraced for sure. Absolutely. All right, Spencer. Well, thanks for sharing your, your life story, entrepreneurial success story and uh, expat story there in Romania. It's awesome. I appreciate it, man. Thanks. All right. These two veterans are asking Mike. Thank you for listening to Veteran on the Move, your pathfinder to freedom. If you like the show, leave us a review on iTunes. Reviews are always greatly appreciated. So until next time, this veteran is Oscar Mike.